I think as the old proverb goes, you know, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think we need to be very, uh, back to the word intentional about that, that we have to figure out a way to come together to go the farthest that we can go. Hello everyone, I'm Ben Chiketti and this is Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights the incredible leaders in the media industry shaping the future of data-driven advertising. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Theron Oliphant, SVP, Head of Data and Technology North America at Essence MediaCom. Together, Theron and I discussed the impending cookie apocalypse, the growing adoption of data clean rooms, the challenges around interoperability and standards, and much, much more. Before we jump into that conversation, this is your reminder to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll always be the first to know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects drop. But without any further delay, here's my conversation with Theron. Hi, Theron. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ben. Uh, thank you for having me and uh, look forward to talking to you today. I'm super excited for this conversation. But for anyone who may not be familiar, can you just give us a quick introduction to yourself and Essence MediaCom? Yes, uh, my name is Theron Oliphant. Um, I am uh, the Senior Vice President and Head of Data and Technology at Essence MediaCom. Um, I make a joke that I'm actually the first Essence MediaCom employee. Um, when I was when I was hired, uh, I was actually hired in the Essence, and uh, my first week we started the transition. Um, so, it, it to becoming Essence MediaCom. So uh, I love to make that joke, but essentially what my job has transformed into since we've had the merger is I lead um, our data strategy, um, our marketing technology teams, and also on the back end, our uh, data management, which represents business intelligence and um, data governance for the organization. Amazing. I think we're going to have heaps to cover, but what we're going to do is we're going to start as we usually do with some quick fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and the first one is, what is your earliest memory of advertising? Oh, this is a good one. Um, so one of my earliest memories of advertising, and probably the first, is um, something that's near and dear to my heart. For those who know me, know that I'm an automotive uh, guy. I started in that in that uh, field. And one of my first memories of advertising centers around that. It was actually for a series of dealerships in the city I'm from, Detroit. Um, there was a football player who uh, got a bunch of dealerships. His name was Mel Farr. He uh, was Mel Farr, the superstar. And in these commercials, he would have a, like, a, like a cartoon and he would have a cape on and he would be like flying over cars and dropping deals and dimes and dollars all across. And I just loved him. And the cool part about that was my dad worked for Ford and he was friends with my dad. So I actually know the guy. And it was just funny to see somebody I knew on TV and also be enthralled by his superhero commercials. I love that. That didn't quite make its way over here to the UK. So I feel like I'm going to have to look that up after this to see, to see it for myself. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I hope I hope they're on YouTube because they're hilarious, like 80s animation and, and all that kind of stuff. It's it's hilarious. That's the best. I will definitely look that out. Uh, so kind of coming from that, then what was your first job in advertising or marketing? Yeah, um, you know, so that is also an interesting question, because like I said, I started in automotive um, and my first jobs really um, I'm going to go back before that before my professional career started. Actually, my brother and I um, had a, a business in our neighborhood and it was like, like taking care of lawns and things like that. Um, and I vividly remember 
um, going around to the mailboxes of all of our neighbors and looking at the prices and services that other landscaping companies were offering. And then me and my brother going back to our parents and being like, hey, we think we can undercut this <laughs> and, and asking our mom on like an old school dot matrix printer to help us create flyers to like undercut the professional landscaping services by like 10 bucks or something. And we started going around putting them in, in mailboxes and, and my brother and I like made a too much money for kids to have <laughs> just by um, like marketing ourselves and using, you know, if you think about the, the four P's using the price consideration uh, to, to win people's hearts over. That's incredible. That's incredible. Market research and everything. Took it super seriously at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were, uh, we were, well, the funny thing about that is, is we were super motivated because we wanted to get Reebok pumps. Um, if you mm. remember those shoes, we were yeah. both uh, playing basketball and, and my dad would not buy us the pumps because they were too much money. And so we were like, we're going to buy them ourselves. And that was the motivation. So, I mean, if you look at yourself at that age, with that motivation, with that hustle, knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself as you were kind of, I guess, starting out your career, but even at that young an age? Yeah, I think um, going, going back, there's really something that is a tenet of mine. And if you talk to some of my um uh, team members, they'll tell you I say this on a semi-regular basis, but I would go even further. Um, I like to talk about understanding the trade before learning the tricks of the trade. And um, I, I take that pretty seriously. Um, if you, you can't get all of these interesting, fancy ideas without understanding the basis of how things work. And um, if I were to tell myself uh, starting off in my career, I would say, you know, go even deeper. Um, get as much knowledge as you can on all of the languages, systems, people, everything that um, that drive this industry, um, and understand how they work fundamentally, and and that will create success for you because you'll naturally understand what is possible and what is not possible and how you can create value on top of those possibilities. That's awesome advice. And it's that kind of foundational knowledge that will never not serve you well as you kind of grow, no matter where your career goes. And it gives you so many options then to divert to different career paths if you've got that kind of foundational layer of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at what you're doing now, obviously many years into the industry, what is it you love about what you do right now and the industry you're in? So I recently in the last few years have moved over to the agency side. Um, I was uh, famously um, one of the people who was trying to drive change from the data and technology space um, since my career starting at Polk, um, building products with, with data logics and then Oracle and, and moving on to companies like Place IQ and whatnot. Um, the reason why I like where I am now is because of the breadth. Um, when you're, when you're at one of these companies, you're, you're definitely, you, you go so deep into a point solution and you know, the ins and outs of that industry or area in a way that others just can't match. Mm -hmm. Um, and right now the, the, the T-shaped nature of my job is really, really interesting because what it does is it allows me to kind of connect the dots. Um, to, to be able to see how um, 
you know, conversions on, you know, an, an app or a website and the logic behind those conversions, how it impacts audience building on the other end, because you're seeing that full funnel, if you will, of, um, of marketing value to, um, performance indication. And so, um, I, I really enjoy, um, being able to follow a narrative, if you will. It's like, it's, it's really all, and that's kind of what marketing and data-driven advertising has become to me. It's, it's narrativized. So you get to follow that full narrative from, you know, front to back. I love that. And I, I often say, you know, we talk about marketing being kind of we're all storytellers if we're in marketing and we're trying to tell a narrative. But it's interesting to also look at it, the flip side of it. We're also trying to explore a narrative and now that can then inform the stories that we tell as marketers as we go on. Beautifully put. So within the industry, we are clearly obsessed with the concept of identity, meaning the ability to identify individuals across devices and across platforms. But how would you explain identity to a 10-year-old or to your younger self out there kind of raising money for his rebot pumps? Like, how would you kind of explain <laughs> that, that phrase? Yeah, I would, um, I would say identity is uh, the value of understanding um, who people are in a way that allows us to have a conversation with them, regardless of what language they speak and regardless of where we're having that conversation, on phone, in person, wherever. In the, in the space of advertising, that means creating a relationship and um, that is derived from using various technologies and the um, capabilities of those technologies to have that conversation. Um, and there are some things, obviously, that those people always want to keep private. So while we may record parts of that conversation or while we may use parts of that conversation to inform our behavior, we also want to put parameters in place to make sure that no one ever knows that we had this conversation um, with this individual and that it gets uh, put into uh, some sort of aggregate stew, if you will. Like, so like if you almost think of like soups or stews or something like that, where there's a bunch of ingredients that um, allow us to distill those conversations into a, a single dish. That's really well put. I like that a lot. So when you look at your day job, uh, what keeps you awake at night? I think continuing to move brands toward what we're going to end up talking about today. Um, there is a certain amount of inertia uh, in the marketplace still, amazingly, after three years of having this conversation. Um, we're, we're still faced with how do we take some of our brands from point A to point B with the least level of disruption to um, their capability um, while also extending their capacity. And uh, that for every brand looks different, but the base problem is the same. We're, we're, we're in a period of transition. And so how do I transition all of these companies to a cohesive and comprehensive um, data and technology architecture 
that then can support what my planning and buying and analytics teams do here at Essence MediaCom. So I really have two constituents and trying to bring the, bring the capabilities together so, so that both of those constituents are satisfied. That is the thing that keeps me up at night. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And then I guess kind of the flip side of that question, or maybe a motivating factor to that question is what inspires you and kind of how do you stay inspired to keep working towards that mission? I, I think um, I've always enjoyed marketing. This is going to be kind of maybe intrinsic about my personality. Um, I've always enjoyed marketing just because of, um, yeah, I, I call it the psychology of business, right? Um, and I have a couple psychologists in my family and I was always interested in the human mind. I was always interested also in innovative things, technologies. My, um, I would always have the latest whiz bang, whatever it was. So combining my love for those three things, for business, for psychology and um, for technology allows me to like, like my job, specifically being in data and technology in a marketing organization, allows me to really, um, I guess, feed all of those desires and all of those things that I like to do. And so it, it drives me every day to find out what is the best new way to accomplish the objectives of a business through technology um, using the psychology of marketing. I think it's a, I, I just, I just, I just really enjoy the business. Um, I, I wish I had a deeper answer than that, but really it just goes back to who I am as a human being. I just like it. And that's the key thing, right? It's finding something that you love where you can kind of make a career out of it. And if it works so well with your personality and the things you enjoy, I mean, you've clearly hit the sweet spot there. Yeah, for sure. So the final quick fire question and a personal favorite of mine, uh, if there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a, this is one uh, thing that I probably will harangue over more than anything, because I've, I've had a pretty, um, I think, uh, circuitous life, if you even just look at my career. Uh, but um, I would say there's two that really stick out in my mind. Uh, the first one would be Serpentine Fire by Earth, Wind and Fire, um, which is to me a song about, um, ab about, about achievement and also overcoming uh, the pitfalls and ups and downs of life. And then um, there is a song. So because I'm from Detroit, I had to pick a Detroit rapper. That is, would be the second soundtrack to my life, which is um, Big Sean's Wolves. And, um, you know, the, the, the narrative of that song is you, you, I was raised by the wolves and um, you, you achieve, but through the, uh, through the collective effort of the group. And that is a very wolf-like character. And um, I am a big believer in that as well. Those are awesome, awesome choices. And we have, we have an Identity Architect soundtrack. So these all get added to that playlist on Spotify for everyone to enjoy. Oh, man, mine are going to bump. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And a great way to end the kind of the quick fire questions and move on to the kind of more topic related questions. And some of these you kind of alluded to already as kind of big topics that we're going to touch on. But let's start with what a lot of companies are focused on at the moment, which is first party data. So from an Essence MediaCom perspective, but also from your client's perspective, 
how do you see yourselves positioned in the market compared to others in the industry from a first-party data perspective? Yeah, I, I see us positioned as um, truly diverse. Um, and the reason I say that is because um, at Essence Mediacom, we obviously have um, companies that, that own a ton of first-party data. We have companies that are um, smaller and and are a little uh, less data rich. Um, however, what we have is like these varying ways to set up first party data frameworks, which is which ends up being um, a, a fun challenge to solve um, because there are, you know like I said there there are brands that operate within the ecosystem. So there's the, the ownership of the data, and then you have to go back to okay, how are they set up? to uh, take advantage of that data or to leverage utilization of first party data that is really second party data to them. And so there are different frameworks that we've set up um, and there's there's three big ones and I, I give them very non-technical names. Like there's the do-it-yourselfers who kind of have their own capabilities they take some server space and some technology and then they build their own suite of e their own ecosystem suite um, there are those who use the ecosystem tools very very uh, well um, and then there are those who are more linear right where they may say we're gonna go long on just using um, social tools like we're, we're we have some companies that spend 70% of their money in Facebook or we have some companies that use only Google suite tools right? Um, so if you look at the juxtaposition between the level of data richness and the way that the company is built, you can start to kind of figure out what is the, the, the positioning that's necessary uh, for utilization of that first party data. And then the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, as a Group M agency, we're obviously ourselves a data controller because we have our own first party data suite through our um, a Merrillink IDN product, um, we are uh, well positioned to amplify whatever uh, data our, our clients have as well. For sure, and, I, and obviously one of the main drivers around this kind of increased focus on first party data as a whole has been the kind of the long-winded deprecation of third-party cookies and identifiers. And obviously you mentioned inertia and kind of battling against that. I mean, we do feel like we are now finally on the final countdown. It feels like we're heading towards Q1 2024 when Google will start deprecating third-party cookies in Chrome. So from your perspective and the experience you've had over the last couple of years, I'm sure working with multiple brands on this, what advice would you give to companies that may not quite be ready for the cookie-less future? Yeah. So the first thing is to start with a you know, uh, position of data ethics, an ethical compass, right? So before you even think about what you're going to collect, think about um, understanding what what what's what's the line for you. Like like what what will you collect? What will you use? Um, how will you partner within this within this ecosystem to value your consumers' privacy, but also take advantage of their needs for personalization. Right. And those things don't necessarily have to be at odds. But what you do have to do is understand what is your guiding principle? Um, what is your footprint? And then I would say do something that will allow you to take control of your own data. Um, too many companies uh, have continued to, I think, 
cede control over to other organizations. And as a brand, and I would I would say similarly for publishers, but I'm I'm talking to the brands today, is make sure that you're implementing things like server-side technologies, um, like the um, data collection and storage mechanisms that um, allow you to control and don't just let someone stick some JavaScript on your site and pull all your data and take the value of your consumers from you. Um, And that is the big, I believe, impetus behind getting rid of third-party cookies. But there are still technologies that, that, um, that would impute control into another organization. Um, so that's that's first ethics, and then control control your own information. From there, I think there's a couple things that are more specific, um, and I would say a um, set up, set up enhanced conversions capabilities, right? Whether it be with Google or Facebook's Cappy or any other enhanced conversion capability that you get, because if you can't properly measure your marketing, then you're already behind. So we want to make sure that we're collecting the conversions that are marketing driven and making decisions off of that. B, collect your data and store it in a location. I mentioned that earlier, but someplace that will allow you to categorize that information um, and put customers into some sort of understandable segmentation or at least buckets that the marketer can use. And then finally, Partner with organizations like the clean rooms, um, like you know customer data integrators to be able to interact with the ecosystem once you have those categories collected and you know what your KPIs are because your your conversions are being properly counted. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, you touched on inertia in one of your kind of earlier answers. What do you think it will take for the industry to fully move away from third-party cookies? And why do you think it's taken so long for this to kind of finally take effect? Well, um, I think that the, the industry is almost like a macrocosm of the individual um, in that uh, oftentimes when, when, when there's a level of, level of comfortability, there has to be some sort of push. Uh, and, the, and there also needs to be clear value um, that comes from making a change. Uh, and until people see that value, i.e. businesses in this context, um, they, they will not make that change, right? Um, and I think what we're starting to see is, A, there are companies who are on the forefront who have some use cases, who, sh- who have been able to actually show that what we're putting in place from these privacy-enhancing technologies perspective is, is value-add. Right, the marketer. Hey, I mean, we know the CMO is the 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 shortest tenured C-suite individual in all of these businesses, and I truly believe that showing the the performance capabilities of privacy enhancing technologies will move us much faster. There will be some velocity finally to moving toward getting um, off of third-party cookies or um, the, 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 the broader, I think, um, value add of respecting privacy while still utilizing consumer data to drive marketing. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it's a change I think we've seen at Infosum in how we almost market ourselves 
in that, you know, especially in Europe, we spent a lot of time talking about the need for greater privacy protection and the need for greater security, which is, of course, still kind of foundational to who we are as a company. But what we're seeing more and more is the need to position the performance that can be driven by data clean rooms. And we're fortunate we've been around for quite a few years now and we have those kind of case studies and those kind of performance stats that we can point to. So I think your advice is perfect, which is, you know, once you embrace privacy enhancing technology and you know that that's your way forward, then it's looking for what's the technology that's going to give me that, but then also give me the performance on the other end. By the way, that's a great point. Um, And one that I will request from you and from others is that continuing to go long on that narrative, right? Um, it, it helps us help you. It helps us help the industry um, being, you know, coming from the agency. Cause if I put a technology in front of um, one of my brands, they could care less how cool it is. <laughs> Their first question is, will this um, beat my benchmarks? Will this meet the KPIs I have set? Can this help me extend the objectives of this particular campaign or larger uh, marketing capability that I'm trying to drive? And um, we oftentimes will have to try to figure out how to communicate that. But if it comes as a package, uh, as part of the package, like the the, it's not just the technology, it's not just the coolness of the whiz bang, but it's also the capability to meet the business needs of our uh, marketing partners. Yeah, completely agree. I think if we look at how the industry has worked for a number of years now and how data-driven advertising has worked, I think most of us now agree that it's been flawed in the past. But in your opinion, who do you think is responsible now for rebuilding that foundation of digital advertising to make it better for the future and better for consumers, most importantly? All of us. I mean, really, there there are too many players in the ecosystem to put this on one company or uh, part of the industry. Um, And the level of interconnectedness uh, that is required to, to make data-driven advertising work. I mean, you've got data owners, you've got technologies, you've got publishers, data platforms, agencies, privacy-enhancing technology. I mean, there's just this long chain of value-added organizations that all need to figure out a way to work together. And one of, one of my, and, we'll, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but this leads me to thinking about interoperability. So not just all of us, but all of us need to be willing to figure out um, how will we uh, create a level of interoperability that allows the full chain to work. Because the, the old saying goes, your you're, you're, you're chain is as strong as your weakest link. And we can't have anybody in that um, chain be weak uh, when it comes to the collaboration that's required, and also the, um, the 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 support for utilizing data at every level um, to to, uh, to to build up data driven advertising as a capability. For sure, it's, and you know another phrase I love is that all boats rise with the tide, right? So if we can all work together and work collectively to rebuild the industry, then we will all see success as technology providers and marketers, as publishers and agencies and everyone in between. Yeah, I love that. You went positive. I went kind of with the weakest <laughs> link thing and then you 
<laughs> you went all, all – okay, you went up to me, but that's fine. I will let it slide. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you've spoken at length about the growing adoption of data clean rooms, which is clearly a subject that's near and dear to my heart and to our hearts at InfoSum. How are you seeing data clean rooms adopted by agencies uh, and the overall benefits that you're seeing for the agency and the clients themselves? Yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting question. And, and when I think about clean rooms, um, I, I believe that clean rooms are centrally capable of providing the ability to continue to transact with trust in the industry. Um, one of the one of the, the the things that we think about um, is trust between partners in the industry, trust from consumers um, in the industry, and and just people who use products and 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 are generally available in the ecosystem, and and that and that also that those consumers trust that their information is being used responsibly to deliver the the personalization that they continue to say that they desire. Right. So there's just a little bit of cognitive dissonance there, but um, that is necessary. And then finally, trust with the data providers and publishers that have their own uniqueness to their base of consumers, to what they do uh, and, and what value they provide and the actual data points that we can get out of there. Because the data point for me that you may get from my interest in automotive is very going to be very different than the data point you get from me from my interest in, say, CrossFit, right? Like, I, I look like two very different people, yet I'm the same person, and there's some uniqueness uh, that the publishers have with the data that they collect. So there's got to be trust. Ultimately, trust is the big thing that clean rooms provide because you are a, um, a, a agnostic technology that enables collaboration and um, that collaboration still has a certain level of obfuscation that we can enjoy the use of that data without giving up the trust of somebody taking advantage of our uniqueness. Yeah, and trust is such a kind of pivotal topic right now, I think, in the industry. Uh, and the other one, obviously, and you've already mentioned it, and anytime data clean rooms get mentioned, it comes up, which is interoperability. Uh, it's a big discussion. From your perspective and from the conversations you're having at SS MediaCom with your clients, what does interoperability mean to you and why is it so important? Yeah, real simply and non-technically, I'd say interoperability means we figure out a way to speak the same language, whether it's um, you know the fact that we do speak the same language, we use a Rosetta Stone, uh, we, we use math as the language, whatever it is, we have to figure out how to um, translate uh, your understanding of the world to my understanding of the world. Um, and, and, and as is, is prone to happen, um, you know, when, when there is change in the marketplace, there's a, a bit of a vacuum um, that really was created by the third-party cookie, right? So um, at, at one point, we had the very clear value of cookie syncs so that even if on publisher A, I was cookie one, two, three, and on publisher B, I was cookie X, Y, Z. There was this cookie syncing capability that allowed us to say, oh, same person, here are the data points on that person, um, and it was usable. As an industry, we got used to uh, the 
relative, I won't say it was perfect, but the relative ease of that. And um, now there are a, a lot of companies vying to take that position with their own standard. And I think we need a central player uh, that allows us to create some level of standard of translation. Um, and until that happens, it's going to be very, very difficult to scale or to get anything active in the marketplace, right? I, I think you probably know just as well as I do, each time we create a, um, each time we, we create an integration, whether it be with a clean room or some other privacy enhancing technology, it's like it's net new each time. Then we got to go figure out who speaks the same language of the 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 um, IDs I'm trans transacting off of, or the join keys I'm using, um, and so those things uh, it it slows down um, the uh, the ability for us to go to market quickly um, and to have clarity right for brands about what we're trying to do because. Uh, you've got this ecosystem of stuff and we're, we're putting matrices in front of our clients. I mean, it just becomes really complex, really quick. So interoperability also reduces complexity. And that's what I'm uh, hoping for in the, in the very near term. Yeah. And I think the other topic that comes up a lot, not just around data clearance, but we're hearing a lot at the moment around retail media, which is probably the other massive buzz phrase of 2023 around measurement and around other topics uh, is the idea of standards. Why is it so difficult for us to come to an agreement on standards and define these standards? I think it comes down to control. Um, companies, they, they, they want to compete, but if they didn't have to, they wouldn't be mad. Uh, and so um, they, they want to have control over their revenue. Uh, and the way that they do that when there are no standards is to make their own. Um, and and then people become entrenched as they see uh, their own standards as the way to profitability and dominance and all the things that come from winning the game. Uh, they'll they'll find another way to compete maybe once standards are in place. But, but that means you have to get organizations with competing priorities regarding what they want included in those standards to agree on something. And that requires a lot of intentional conversation uh, and also um, the uh, uh, ability to be conciliatory and say, you know, in this area, you've got a better solution. In that area, I've got a better solution. And we all figure out how to go forward together. Um, uh, it, it, I think as the old, you know, proverb goes, you know, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think we need to be very uh, back to the word intentional about that, that we have to figure out a way to come together to go the farthest that we can go. Um, and, and, and I think we will, but we have to get over this idea of control begets uh, profitability or um, me reaching my goals better. You may reach them faster, but you won't reach them better. You won't, you won't go further. I think it's interesting, right? We talked about inertia around the kind of deprecation of third-party cookies and I wonder if there's, uh, I'd get, love to get your opinion on this, if there's a risk of waiting for standards and waiting for interoperability being the new inertia and that people will fail to act because they're waiting for these inter interoperability to get introduced or new standards to get introduced. 
wow, that is a deep question and one that I I am forced to somewhat agree with. Um, and let me bifurcate this. I think testing and initial capabilities absolutely need to take place on the current frameworks that we have. As we get some understanding, we get some data points, we, we're, we're going to have to start to need to coalesce. So I, so to your point, I, I don't think we slow down because there, there isn't perfect interoperability yet, or there isn't perfect, you know, standards in the market. I, but I do think we should be, uh, creating, uh, value capabilities, opportunities, testing scenarios with the idea that eventually we're leading toward what is going to be the uh, the the waters that we eventually swim in all together. Yeah, I guess you know this year, as I kind of just mentioned, data clean rooms, retail media—they've been incredibly hot topics uh, and something that we've all been super excited about, especially at Infosum. What are some of the things that excite you about the industry right now, and where we're headed in twenty twenty four and beyond? Yeah, so many of the same things that excited me in the past, quite frankly, about this industry, um, because there's so much room still for innovation. Um, the the fact that there's a changing regulatory standard just has birthed so many new companies and technologies and collaborations. And that's the thing that really excites me about the industry. Um, we were going towards um, if you think about 2018, 29, early 2019, we were going towards some, some, I think, something that doesn't really resonate well with the ad tech industry, which is there were some kind of starting to be some really big players in the marketplace that centralized a lot of stuff. Um, and the, the explosion of all these new ad tech and mad tech companies, the technologies, the various ways to collect data, um, the various ways to use data has just birthed this this new round of innovation that got me excited back in 2008 when I got into this industry. And so that 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 right there, I, I mean, the single word, the headline is innovation. That excites me, and I think it's going to be really fun to build up new partnerships, create different collaborative efforts, and um, you know that is going to birth what I think are a lot of new opportunities for, um, you know, uh, not just the, the innovation, but the interesting capabilities and new ways of marketing that come from that innovation. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have been at InfoSum for kind of five and a half years since the early days of InfoSum. And when I talk to people about, you know, my journey here, it's, it, it's, been so exciting because every year is slightly different like so much is happening in our industry no year is the same no week is really the same but definitely no year is the same uh and there's kind of this constant drive from the kind of the incredible people in the industry like yourself to continue to innovate to continue to push kind of digital advertising and data-driven advertising to kind of new and new heights yeah definitely and and um you know that that hopefully leads toward uh, great relationships with consumers. Um, I, I, you know, the, one of the things that's, that's really interesting about this level of innovation is now it's also seeped its way into brand marketers where, you know, they're creating 
you know, these, these, these really, these really cool ways to connect with consumers and collect data that is value add on both sides. And, um, I, I don't want to leave the consumer out of that equation while obviously I'm kind of a, a nerd about these things and, and like the, the technical innovation, there's also these innovations for the consumer that, um, is going to be a huge value add to them and their lives as they start to connect with brands and get value out of some of these, um, re- I guess, uh, ways that are either clear or unclear regardless uh, of, of how brands want to collect data, but, but the consumers get benefit from that. And I think often when we have these conversations and often when we're at industry events and so on and so forth, it can feel like the consumer isn't in the room in that the conversation is <laughs> often about the tech. Yeah. At the end, they we're all consumers and we all know what we would expect from advertising, what we want from advertising. And therefore we can work on behalf of the consumer to shape that for the future, right? Yeah, definitely. So we're coming to the end of 2023. So 2024 will be around the corner and there'll be heaps of predictions posted online over the next few weeks. Do you have any predictions or things that you're most looking forward to in 2024? Yeah, so um, you know, personally at at Essence Media Com Group M, I think, you know, refocusing on on our business and our position in the marketplace has me really excited. Um, we're we're doing some things um that I think are uh, really interesting and going to build value for the marketplace. Um and then I think uh looking out into the wider ecosystem um, there's a, there's a couple things that I see setting up that haven't quite popped yet that I think once they do are going to completely change everything. Um, so, uh, integration of, of the server side technologies for customer data integration are, I think the biggest thing that's going to change, um, the ability to use first party data. Um, and whether that be authenticated first party data where you've got everything, you know, tied up in a neat little bow, but then there's this unauthenticated first party data, right? There's the dropping of the first party cookie and then trying to make sense of that. So I think those technologies that make sense of those unauthenticated users are going to like just explode some of this innovation that we've been talking about. Um, you know, because I think that it does a few things. It'll make site speeds faster, so you're going to see better conversion. You're going to you're going to get marketers that are that are willing to innovate on top of those better conversions and kind of um, supercharge their 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 marketing capabilities, and um, that will also build in greater scale, which will then enable the use of clean rooms, which will enable the use of direct integrations of first party data from brand to publisher or from brand to agency enrichment data sources all of those different things um, that that just create more and more value in the marketplace so the more data in the marketplace the better and so these technologies that are allowing um, brands and agencies to collect more data so that we can have uh a, a much more scaled version of what we're providing companies like yours today is going to, I think, really drive the industry in 2024. And I look forward to being on the forefront of that. 
Yeah, I mean, it should be an exciting year and there's just so much to look forward to. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited for it. Is there anything we haven't touched on? I mean, we haven't mentioned AI at all, which is an incredible thing for any podcast in 2023, but is there anything else that we haven't touched on you feel we should cover before we close things out? Yeah, I was, I was actually going to, um, say that we succeeded by not mentioning AI, um, as AI honestly is a, um, it is a function of things that have already been in place for quite some time, right? If we think about uh, machine learning and the use of neural networks, um, even your basic algorithm in some ways is is a AI light, right? So um, we are, I think, focused on extending all of those capabilities uh, and putting solutions on, on top of them. Um, but just AI as a as a term, artificial intelligence as a term, um, as we get more sophisticated, this happens all the time, right? You know, like we have this like, oh yes, this is the buzzword and this is the thing that we're talking about. But then once you get more sophisticated with it, you start learning, okay, there's, there's individuality to all of the things that we can enable with that buzzword. That buzzword comes with a whole host of, 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 of issues and, and capabilities and um, differentiation of what you can and cannot do. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I think we haven't mentioned it, but some of the things that we're talking about are enabled by AI, right? Um, you know, we've talked about enhanced conversions. We talk about interoperability and clean rooms, and we didn't necessarily talk about this directly, but, um, probabilistic, uh, uh, creation of, of, um, understanding who a consumer is and, and utilizing those joint keys to connect in the, in the marketplace. Those are all driven by some differential level of AI, uh, and so, um, you know, th- those things are, are really interesting. But the one thing I, I guess I want to talk about that we haven't really talked about is is the role of the media agency, right? And and how I see the role of the media agency changing. Um, you know, and if we're we're gonna deliver on the the promise of being a value add partner to our brands, we're going to have to become more consultants than just media buyers. Um, and the uh, because the value of the media is eroded by not taking advantage of the items that we've been discussing, you know, here for the past 45, 50 minutes. Um, and, you know, brand marketers, they're worried about their products, their consumers, creating the next big idea. Um, technology companies are worried about building the greatest technology that will advance the market, that will create value for their for their businesses, um, and and for their the consumers that flow through those businesses, and I think agencies need to be the translation layer. Um, how do we connect those big ideas, those opportunities to the technologies that are um, being now built in the marketplace to um, to get those messages to the consumers in the right place in the right time um, in a efficient way that that creates value in the marketplace. So um, I, I would like to, I mean, in, it's still in its early stages to some degree, but we this is another point of uh, required velocity in my view, um, which is agencies, again, going back to the fact that we see the whole field, um, I think we're the best positioned to provide consultation to our brands, um, not just on um, you know where they should place their media, 
or how much their media should cost, but also on the infrastructure that supports the consumers that flow through that. Media. And it's that consultative relationship, right? That is so valuable to anyone. No, no brand, no publisher can know everything. And therefore there's always having that kind of relationship with the agency that can provide them that insight, that intelligence that they can't have internally themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast is all about pioneering individuals such as yourself who are changing the way that data is used to power better customer experiences. So when you look to people you admire or people within your network, who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I, I, I mean, you you probably know, I know like a lot of, just about everybody in this industry. So this is, this is not uh, me uh, choosing favorites in any way, right? Because there's so many brilliant people in this industry and so many people with great personalities that I think you would love talking to. But if we go back to where I started, um, which is understanding the foundation, um, I really want to continue to support education in the industry. And so I would nominate Shiv Gupta of, um, of U of Digital. Uh, I think he has a really unique perspective going around to these various organizations and training them on being uh, digitally savvy. And I'm, I'm sure you'd have a great conversation with him. Yeah, that's a great nomination. And yeah, I think that'd be an awesome conversation. So um, we'll, we'll definitely reach out. Darren, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You've been a guest that I've been excited to have on for, for a long time. So I'm thrilled that we finally got the chance to do this episode. Uh, it didn't disappoint and I really enjoyed our conversation. Fantastic. Uh, yes, I did as well. And you, you, you made me think about some things. So I really appreciate that and also appreciate the continued collaboration with your company. Thanks again to Theron for joining us on Identity Architects. I loved chatting with him, not only learning more about him, but tapping into his incredible and thoughtful insight into the industry and the trends we're seeing emerge as we head into 2024. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>